Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Wednesday, February 14th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a podcast that is dedicated to prayer, devotion, scripture reading, and Bible study. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ doing wonderful, wonderful stuff over there. I would definitely encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you're going to find something over there you want to listen to, and there's a very good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right. Well, I'm going to let you know up front. Um, I'm obviously recording this Tuesday for a Wednesday broadcast. Um, and I'm even sicker today than I was. I don't know if I sound sicker or not, but I'm even sicker today than I was recording Tuesday's episode for you. Um, so I will do my best to keep my voice squared away and to not sniffle in your ears. Now, now I've got the, the runny nose and everything on top of the rest. So thus it's been wonderful. Not, um, but such as life, you know, life goes on, but I wanted to be able to get this out there, our, our reading and our Bible study and our prayers and devotions. So I'm going to do my best to see how far I can get through this and we'll see what happens. And I'm sitting here with a cup of tea and, uh, I'll definitely be sipping from that. It's actually a cinnamon spice tea. I'm hoping that will help kind of keep my nose clear and hang on just a second. Uh, thought I'd take a quick sip of that. All right, well, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Uh, we'll be open up with the first day, first, I'm sorry, fourth day morning prayer. It's called True Christianity from Valley of Vision. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love. And in thy son, thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who, who have light, zeal, confidence but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the spirit, that profits by every correction and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right. Sorry about that. I had up on the TV. It's a, you can find the stream on a YouTube and it's a stream. It's an earth, earthquake tracker. Sometimes wife and I turn that on. It's, it's as goofy as it sounds, just watching that kind of stuff happen all over the place can actually be a little relaxing as goofy as, like I said, as that sounds. All right. Well, our morning devotion is, uh, let's see from, um, sorry, from Spurgeon's morning and evening for, uh, February 14th. Uh, the text is from second Kings 25 verse 30. And his allowance was a continual allowance given him of the king, a daily rate for every day, all the days of his life. 
Jehoiachin was not sent away from the king's palace with a store to last him for months, but his provision was given him as a daily pension. Herein he he well pictures the happy position of all the Lord's people. A daily portion is all that a man really wants. We do not need tomorrow's supplies. That day has not yet dawned, and its wants are as yet unborn. The thirst which we may suffer in the month of June does not need to be quenched in February, for we do not feel it yet. If we have enough for each day, as the days arrive, we shall never know want. Sufficient for the day is all that we can enjoy. We cannot eat or drink or wear more than the day's supply of food and raiment. The surplus gives us the care of storing it and the anxiety of watching against a thief. One staff aids a traveler, but a bundle of staves is a heavy burden. Enough is not only as good as a feast, but is all that the greatest glutton can truly enjoy. This is all that we should expect. A craving for more than this is ungrateful. When our Father does not give us more, we should be content with his daily allowance. Jehoiachin's case is ours. We have a sure portion, a portion given us of the king, a gracious portion, and a perpetual portion. Here is surely ground for thankfulness. Beloved Christian reader, in matters of grace you need a daily supply. You have no store of strength. Day by day must you seek help from above. It is a very sweet assurance that a daily portion is provided for you in the word, through the ministry, by meditation, in prayer, and waiting upon God, you shall receive renewed strength. In Jesus, all needful things are laid up for you. Then enjoy your continual allowance. Never go hungry while the daily bread of grace is on the table of mercy. All right. Well, our reading today, and hang on a minute, need a little bit of tea here. Didn't want to cough in your ear and I could feel it coming. All right. So our reading today is Exodus 37 and 38, Matthew 28, Psalm 34 verses 11 through 22, and Proverbs 9 verses 9 and 10. So Exodus 37. And Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Its length was two and a half cubits and its width one and a half cubits and its height one and a half cubits. And he overlaid it with pure gold inside and out and made a gold molding for it all around. He cast four rings of gold for it on its four feet, even two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. He made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He put the poles into the rings on the side of the ark to carry it. He made a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. He made two cherubim of gold. He made them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. One cherub at the one end and one cherub at the other end. From one piece he made the mercy seat with the cherubim at its two ends. The cherubim had their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings, with their faces toward, toward each other. The faces of the cherubim were toward the mercy seat. Then he made the table of acacia wood, two cubits long and a cubit wide and one and a half cubits high. He overlaid it with pure gold and made a gold molding for it all around. He made a rim for it of a handbreadth all around and made a gold molding for its rim all around. He cast four gold rings for it and put the rings on the four corners that were on its four feet, close to the rim where the rings were the rings, the holders for the poles to carry the table. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold to carry the table. He made the utensils which were on the table, its dishes and its pans and its offering bowls and its jars with which to pour out drink offering of pure gold. Then he made the lampstand of pure gold. 
He made the lamp stand of, stand of hammered work, its base and its shaft, its cups, its bulbs, and its flowers were of the same piece. There were six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand from the one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand from the other side of it. Three cups shaped like almond blossoms, a bulb and a flower in one branch, and three cups shaped like almond blossoms, a bulb and a flower in the other branch, so for the six branches coming out of the lampstand. In the lampstand there were four cups shaped like almond blossoms, its bulb and its flowers, and a bulb was under the first pair of branches coming out of it, and a bulb under the second pair of branches coming out of it, and a bulb under the third pair of branches coming out of it, for the six branches coming out of the lampstand. Their bulbs and their branches were of one piece with it. The whole of it was a single hammered work of pure gold. He made it excuse me, he made it seven lamps with its tongs and its trays of pure gold. He made it and all its utensils from a talent of pure gold. Then he made the altar of incense of acacia wood, a cubit long and a cubit wide, square, and two cubits high. Its horns were of one piece with it. He overlaid it with pure gold, its top and its sides all around, and its horns, and he made a gold molding for it all around. He made two golden rings for it under its moldings, on its two sides, on opposite sides, as holders for poles with which to carry it. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold, and he made the holy anointing oil and the pure fragrant incense of spices, the work of a perfumer. Exodus 38 Then he made the altar of burnt offerings of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide, square, and three cubits high. He made its horns on its four corners, its horns being of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. He made all the utensils of the altar, the pots and the shovels and the bowls, the flesh hooks and the fire pans, he made all of its utensils of bronze. He made for the altar a grating of a network of bronze beneath, under its ledge, reaching halfway down. He cast four rings on the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. He inserted the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar with which to carry it. He made it hollow with planks. Moreover, he made the laver of bronze with its base of bronze from the mirrors of the serving women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Then he made the court for the south side of the hangings of the court were of fine twisted linen, one hundred cubits, their twenty pillars and their twenty bases, made of bronze, the hooks of the pillars, and their bands were of silver. For the north side there were one hundred cubits, their twenty pillars and their twenty bases were of bronze, the hooks of the pillars and their bands were of silver. For the west side there were hangings of fifty cubits with their ten pillars and their ten bases, the hooks of the pillars and their bands were of silver. For the east side toward the sunrise fifty cubits. The hangings for the one side of the gate were fifteen cubits, with their three pillars and their three bases. And so for the other side, on both sides of the gate of the court were hangings of fifteen cubits, with their three pillars and their three bases. All the hangings of the court all around were of fine twisted linen. The bases for the pillars were of bronze, the hooks of the pillars and their bands were of silver, and the overlaying of their tops were of silver, and all the pillars of the court were furnished with silver bands. The screen of the gate of the court was the work of the weaver of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, and the length was twenty cubits and the height was five cubits corresponding to the hangings of the court. Their four pillars and their four bases were of bronze, their hooks were of silver, and the overlaying of their tops and their bands were of silver. All the pegs of the tabernacle and of the court all around were bronze.
These are the things numbered for the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony as they were numbered according to the command of Moses for the service of the Levites, Levites by the hand of Ithamar the son of Aaron the priest. Now Bezalel the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that Yahweh had commanded Moses. With him was Aholiab the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, a craftsman and a skillful designer, and a weaver in blue and in purple and in scarlet material and fine linen. All the gold that was used for the work and all the work of the sanctuary, even the gold of the wave offering, was twenty-nine talents and seven hundred and thirty shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The silver of those of the congregation who were numbered was a hundred talents and seventeen hundred and seventy-five shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A bekah, a head, that is half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for each one who passed over to those who were numbered from twenty years old and upward for six hundred and three thousand five hundred and fifty men. One hundred talents of silver were for ca casting the bases of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil, one hundred bases for one hundred talents, a talent for a base. Of the one thousand seven hundred and seventy-five shekels, he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their tops and made bands for them. The bronze of the wave offering was a hundred and seventy talents and twenty-four hundred shekels. With it he made the bases to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and the bronze altar and its bronze grating, and all the utensils of the altar, and the bases of the court all around, and the bases of the gate of the court, and all the pegs of the tabernacle, and all the pegs of the court all around. Matthew 28 now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled away the stone, and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards quaked from fear of him, and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly, with fear and great joy, and ran to port it ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do, do not be afraid. Go and report to my brothers to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were on their way, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the city to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and took counsel together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep and if this is heard before the governor we will win him over and keep you out of trouble and they took the money and did as they had been instructed and this story was widely spread among the jews and is to this day but the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. <clears throat> Psalm 34, verses 11 through 22. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of Yahweh, who is the man who delights in life and loves many days that he may see good. 
Guard your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of Yahweh are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of Yahweh is against evildoers, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and Yahweh hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. Yahweh is near to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the evils against the righteous, but Yahweh delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be contemned. Yahweh redeems the soul of his slaves, and all those who take refuge in him will not be condemned. Finally, Proverbs 9, verses 9 and 10. Give knowledge to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Make a righteous man know it, and he will increase his learning. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. I thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray that our time together here in the Scripture helps us to be more and more saturated with the Word of God as we need to be. Um, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called The Second Coming. Let's pray. O Son of God and Son of Man, Thou wast incarnate, didst suffer, rise, ascend for my sake. Thy departure was not a token of separation, but a pledge of return. Thy word, promises, sacraments show thy death until thou come again. That day is no horror to me, for thy death has redeemed me. Thy spirit fills me, thy love animates me, thy word governs me. I have trusted thee, and thou hast not betrayed my trust waited for thee, and not waited in vain. Thou wilt come to raise my body from the dust, and reunite it to my soul. By a wonderful work of infinite power and love, greater than that which bounds the ocean's waters, ebbs and flows the tides, keeps the stars in their courses, and gives life to all creatures. This uh, corruptible, sh I'm sorry, this corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal immortality, this natural body, a spiritual body, this dishonored body, a glorious body, this weak body, a body of power. I triumph now in thy promises as I shall do in their performance. For the head cannot live if the members are dead. Beyond the grave is resurrection, judgment, acquittal, dominion. Every event and circumstance of my life will be dealt with the sins of my youth, my secret sins, the sins of abusing thee, of disobeying thy word, the sins of neglecting ministers' admonitions, the sins of violating my conscience, all will be judged. And after judgment, peace and rest, life and service, employment and enjoyment for thine elect, O God, keep me in this faith, and ever looking for Christ's return. Amen. All right. Again, thank you so much for spending this morning with me. And again, I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good day. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Wednesday, February 14th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, um, I, though, though we don't 
typically though we do something nice with each other uh we don't typically celebrate valentine's day i I, it is definitely a manufactured holiday however i do wish my wife a very very wonderful valentine's day she is definitely my wonderful wonderful bride and i am blessed to be her husband all right well we're going to be doing our study of john 18 if my voice holds out Uh, But what we're going to do first is we're going to go ahead and open up with prayer. Uh, The prayer we're going to open up with um, is from uh, At the Throne of Grace. It's a collection of John MacArthur's prayers put together by his children. And like I've said before, they all come with um, a lead-in of Scripture. So this one is titled Clinging to the Cross of Christ. And the Scripture is from Psalm 118, verses 14 through 29. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I will not die but live, and tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is good, and he has given us light. Bind the... I'm sorry, bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horn of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, you set our deliverer, our shield, and our refuge, the horn of our salvation. I'm sorry, you are our deliverer, our shield, and our refuge, the horn of our salvation. We praise you and offer our everlasting thankfulness because you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to offer his life for our sake on the cross. He is our strength and our song, and he has become our salvation. Thus the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone of our salvation and the Savior of the world. For no one in this world will ever find salvation in any other, nor can anyone come to you, Father, except through him. We add our own personal testimony to what your word declares in the community and in the consummation of all things. Those who have trusted in Christ will not be dismayed. We acknowledge, gracious Father, that our salvation is all your work. We are utterly helpless to save ourselves or contribute any merit of our own toward gaining your favor. But you took the initiative, you made the overture, you reconciled us to yourself through Christ. You made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You, the offended party, acted first on our behalf while we were still enemies. We were willfully rebellious, our appetites were evil, our conduct was contrary to your law, our hearts were occupied with unworthy thoughts, our motives were self-serving, our attitudes were arrogant and smug, our minds were hostile to you, we refused to submit to your authority. We were hopelessly in bondage to sin, and therefore unable to serve you as we ought. In all those ways we proved ourselves to be enemies of everything holy.' 
but you sent your son to redeem us from that bondage. He purchased us from the slave house of sin by offering himself as a substitute. He took our place and carried our guilt to the cross. He bore for our sakes the just punishment of sin. Now we are slaves of righteousness, and it is our delightful duty to embrace Christ wholeheartedly as our rightful master. He is not only our Lord to rule over us, he is also our Messiah and Deliverer, our Rabbi and Teacher, our Shepherd and Caretaker, our Great High Priest and Intercessor, and the Spotless Lamb of God, who made everlasting atonement once for all. He thus put away our sins forever by the sacrifice of himself. We embrace him alone as our Savior, trusting his work is fully sufficient. We forego any effort to gain our own righteousness, supplement the work of Christ, earn fresh merit in your eyes, or fit ourselves for heaven through your, our own efforts. We thus come by faith to the one who has already done everything for us, and even in that we know that the only hope we have of abiding in Christ lies in the grace that made us alive to him in the first place. And so we cling with penitent faith, asking that you keep us always near the cross. In the name of the one crucified there we pray. Amen. All right, in our evening devotion uh, from Thomas Watson's Glorifying God, the title for the 14th is The Sacred Preservation of Scripture. From John 17, 17 is the verse, Sanctify them through thy truth. The word of God is of ancient standing. The gray hairs of Scripture make it venerable. No human historian extant reach further. I'm sorry. No human histories extant reach further than Noah's flood, but the Holy Scripture relates matters of fact that have been from the beginning of the world. It writes of things before time. We may know the Scripture to be the Word of God by its miraculous preservation in all ages. The Holy Scriptures are the richest jewel that Christ has left us, and the Church of God has so kept these public records of heaven that they have not been lost. The word of God has never wanted enemies to oppose and, if possible, to destroy it. They have given out a law concerning scripture, as Pharaoh did the midwives concerning the Hebrew women's children, to strangle it in the birth. But God has preserved this blessed book inviolable to this day. The devil and his agents have been blowing at scriptures, I'm sorry, have been blowing at scripture light, but could never blow it out. A clear sign that it was lighted from heaven. Nor has the church of God in all revolutions and changes kept the scripture that it should not be lost only, but that it should not be depraved. The letter of scripture has been preserved without any corruption in the original tongue. The scriptures were not corrupted before Christ's time, for then Christ would not have seen the Jews. I'm sorry, would not have sent the Jews to them. He said, search the scriptures, John 5, 39. He knew these sacred springs were not muddied and human with, I'm sorry, not muddied with human fancies. Sorry about that. I just, uh, I love this book, but the pages being kind of a sepia tone makes it very hard to read, especially in a low light environment. And that's definitely what I'm in right now. Um, all right, which is my own fault, but all right, so we're continuing on in our study of John chapter 18. Um, again, this beginning section, these first 11 verses are about Jesus' betrayal and arrest. And so we've broken this down. We're, we're looking at different, different um, attributes, I guess, that Christ is manifesting here. And we looked at his um, 
supreme courage in verses 1 through 4a, his supreme power in verse 4b through 6, and we're going to look at his supreme love today. So John 18 verses 7 through 9, so I'm going to read these. Therefore he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these go their way. In order that in the in order that the word which he spoke would be fulfilled of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. So again, so he's showing his supreme love as we saw his supreme courage that he went out. He went out to them. He even went to them as they were coming to him to, to question them. He didn't wait for them. He didn't sit there and hide behind an olive tree or behind the, the olive press. He went to them. The fact is, like we, we spoke about, he went out to the garden at night. I mean, it, it just basically he stacked up things against himself that, that would have not kept him under the radar because he wasn't trying to be kept under the radar. He, as we've talked about, we talked about last night, we talked about last week, we've talked about before. He's trying to force this issue. He's, he's making very, very clear. It is the time for him to be sacrificed. It is the appropriate time. It is the, the, um, I'm sorry, the Passover, and it is the final true Passover where he will be that one appropriate sacrifice. So he's forcing it to happen, and he's forcing it to happen at this point. So he explicitly goes out there. He shows that courage that he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane knowing that Judas knows where he's going to be and is going to bring them there. He knows what's coming, but he goes there anyways. And then we saw him manifest his supreme power. And again, we talk about that, that what it says there in verse... um, verse five, where he, he said to them, I am he, but we talked about that in the Greek. It's actually, I am, he's, he's, he's proclaiming the name of God and he's proclaiming that as his own name. And the force of his proclaiming that of the word made flesh, proclaiming the word of God, the name of God knocks them to the ground. So we see that supreme power. And he, and he's also at the same time, making very, very clear that He's, he's not being taken away. He's allowing himself to go with them. He's choosing to go with them willingly. Okay. They are not in control. He is the one in control. So he's manifesting that supreme power. So what we see in our verses today, again, like I said, is his supreme love. And so you sit there and read those verses and, huh, (laughs) what are you talking about? Well, We've, we've talked about before, Jesus has been protecting these guys. Again, we talked about that in his high priestly prayer where he prayed for them, for the disciples, for spiritual protection and for sanctifying purity, you know, w- wanting them to be, have, be spiritually protected and, and, and to be truly sanctified so that they're the, they, they, they are the appropriate witness for his word. And, and again, we, we see very clearly that what he's trying to proclaim, what he, what he's trying to show, um, or what, what he, what he's trying to do is he's trying to protect them. The fact is he's been their protection this whole time. As I've said before, you know, we, we've watched that when they've, when there's been an issue, even when people, even when the Pharisees have had an issue with what the disciples are doing, like when they go through the field and they're, and they're taking the grains, rubbing them between their hands and then eating of the grain on the Sabbath. They go to Jesus to complain about it. They don't go to them. They, these guys are being protected. Okay. They've been protected by Jesus. Well, he continues to do it here. 
And again, we see this, this is actually, and, and as we've seen in John, we see, we've seen Jesus make a number of I am statements. And this is kind of a culmination of one. We think about it. Jesus is being here. He's manifesting the idea of being the good shepherd, not the hired hand. So John 10, 12 through 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches and scatters them, because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. Of course, that is in the section where Jesus proclaims, I am the good shepherd. Well, what he's making clear of, that's the thing. Were he the hired hand, when these guys came barreling in to the Garden of Gethsemane, like we said, 200 to around approximately 200 Roman soldiers and multiple, we don't know how many, the numbers of temple officers coming to arrest him. The hired hand would run. He would run. He'd have left the disciples to, to their own devices, but he doesn't do that. He's the good shepherd. He cares for the sheep as, as we've saw, saw in John 10, when we worked our way through it, he's the good shepherd. He tends to them. He leads them out. He protects them. I mean, that's, we talked about it at the time. That's what the shepherd did. The shepherd put himself between the sheep and harm. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He makes very, very clear. He again asked them, whom do you seek in verse seven? And, and forces them to repeat who they're looking for. And again, they repeat their orders, Jesus, the Nazarene. So he responds to them in this, this strong response. I told you that I am he, and he goes, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these go their way. So basically what he's, he's pointing out to them is you've only been authority to come get me. You need to leave these alone. He's laying this out very quickly, very clearly. He's protecting them. Again, he's very clearly protecting them because it would have been very, very easy and, and actually not that surprising. Again, there were stories of um, rebels before Jesus, not, not claiming Jesus was a rebel because he was nothing like these others, but, but that had tried to rise up against the Roman order and stuff like that. And when they'd come to get them, they, they'd not only take that person down, but they'd slaughter their disciples. I mean, they would take out all of them. So here's Jesus, even at this point, as he's about to be arrested, again, we've talked about it, arrested, beaten, whipped, crucified, die, but he's protecting them. He's showing that love and, and it's a twofold love. We got to remember that. Yes, he's showing his love for them by protecting them, showing that he loves them, but he's also showing his love for God and that he is carrying out the will of God. Verse nine, in order that the word which he spoke would be fulfilled of those whom you, whom you have given me, I lost not one. Again, that's, he's quoting himself or John is quoting what Jesus said previously, that those that God had given them, he given him, he would not lose. Um, John six thirty seven through 40, all that the father gives me, this is Jesus, all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So again, he's doing God's will by protecting them, showing his love for God. Now, this is the will I'm continuing on in those verses. Now, this is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Speaking of raising them up, we talked about the time, raising them up and setting them at his right hand. 
That's what he's speaking of. But he makes clear that he's not going to lose any of them. And of course, it, it becomes clear, you know, that's except for the son of perdition, except for the son of perdition. And that's one that is expected that he would lose. But he doesn't really lose him because Judas didn't have a saving faith to begin with. He put on a good show, but he didn't really have a saving faith to begin with. But again, John six forty four. no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Again, he makes very, very clear that those that the father have given him, he will not lose. So he's being very, very clear here. He is protecting those that the father has given him again, showing his love for God by being obedient to God and doing God's will. But he's also showing his love for these 11 that he is continuing to protect them even when he is the one most at risk. John 10, 28, and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish ever. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Again, he's not talking about physically perishing. He's talking about spiritually perishing, but he makes clear no one will snatch them out of his hand. Again, that that's still verse nine, in order that the word which he spoke would be fulfilled of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Again, he loses not one. John 17, 12, here's the one we're talking about. While I was with, with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Again, being very, very clear. And, and this is scripture, even from the Old Testament, that he was not going to lose any that was given. Now, of course, people will turn around and ask and, 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 well, actually, let me say this. So Jesus is taking those steps so he does not lose them. So that begs the question. So could these 11 have lost their faith? If it was up to them, absolutely. Of course, then people will go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You you believe in this, this predestination, this sovereignty of God thing? Yes, absolutely, I do. So that sounds like I'm contradicting myself. No, I am not. Because my statement was, if our salvation was up to us, we would lose it. If it were up to you and I, we would lose our salvation because we are not capable of hanging on to it. Again, we're not the ones that bring about our salvation. We're not the ones who cause the persistence of that salvation through our life. Notice in all of these verses I've read where Jesus is speaking of this, Jesus is very, very clear that he keeps them. He does not lose them. He is the actor, not, not as an actor as in TV and movies, but he is the one taking action to keep those and to lift them up. Not notice it's not the 11 that he speak that, 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 that are here saying anything. The fact is when Peter goes to do something, Jesus tells him to stop, right? And we'll see that tomorrow evening, God willing. But again, being made clear that Jesus is the one that takes the action, that God is the one that takes the action. God provides our salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, and through the work of the Holy Spirit. That provides our salvation. It, it again, and people are going to get angry, but I'm going to state this flat out. It has... It has nothing to do with us, except that we're what's being acted upon. Again, that's why I love in John 3, where he speaks of being born again, being born again, and it completely throws off Nicodemus. And I think that is the perfect metaphor for it, because the fact is you and I had absolutely nothing to do 
with our physical birth, other than being what was birthed or who was birthed. We had nothing else to do with it. Well, we have nothing to do with our spiritual birth, other than being the one who was born. It is provided by God. It is sanctified by the work of Christ. And it, well, it's provided by God through the work of Jesus Christ. And we're made able to believe so we can partake of it through the work of the Holy Spirit. That is all monergistic. It is the triune God that does the work, not you and I. So yes, we could lose our salvation if we were the ones responsible for it. But we're not. As we see Jesus here, he knows they're going to freak out. He he knows if they get arrested here, and, and I would agree with MacArthur in his notes, he talks about this, that if they had been arrested here, their faith would have probably gone all to pieces. And I think it probably would have. I mean, as much work as he's been doing, and we talked about that last night, from chapter 13 all the way up to here, up to right here in John 18, again, he's been trying to boost their faith. He's been trying to strengthen their faith. Even with all that work, even showing clearly by his own exhibition of his supreme power, we saw that in verses 4b through 6, if they were to be arrested and beaten and all that kind of stuff. Now, we see them have to deal with that after his ascension, and they withstand it. But at this point, prior to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it is a very good chance that he would have lost them. So he steps out there and says, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus, the Nazarene. And he said, okay, I have already told you that I am. So if you're seeking me, leave these alone. So, you know, not only do we see that Jesus is still in control of this whole situation, but he's making absolutely sure that these 11 are safe. They are safe from being arrested. They are safe from having any kind of problems happen with them. They are safe to be ready for when he returns, from when he is raised from the dead. And uh, so in the notes, I was reading a phrase from A Mighty Fortress is Our God that Luther put together. Believe me, Luther, you, you and I, if you know anything about Luther, he went through some tough trials. But he wrote about it. And, and so I'm going to read this stanza. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. That's Jesus Christ. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. The Lord of hosts, his name from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Making very, very clear. I mean, Luther got it. That is is Jesus. It is Jesus who protects us. It is Jesus who provides us our salvation. It is Jesus who holds us in that salvation. So I hate the phrase. I do. I hate the phrase, once saved, always saved. It's correct if you are actually truly saved because the triune God is who manifests that salvation within us, then we can't lose it. That is correct. That is not carte blanche to go whatever, go do whatever you want to do. Nor does it mean that because somebody says that they believe in Christ and are saved, that they necessarily are. There are way too many out there that are professors. And I mean, professors in that they profess Jesus Christ, but are not true believers. 
So those, yes, can lose their salvation because they truly weren't saved anyways. They truly weren't saved anyways. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Again, God provides for us so that we are unable to lose, so that we are able to persevere and maintain our walk of faith. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to, able to, I'm sorry, he is also able able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Again, Jesus Christ is constantly making intercession for us like he did there. He makes intercession for those 11 in our verses today. He continues to make intercession for you and I. 1 John 2, 1 through 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now, of course, then he's not talking about for every person in the world, it's for everybody who would be saved. But again, yes, we're going to stumble. Yes, we're going to struggle. But Christ has provided the propitiation for those sins. Thus, we will not be lost. He will protect us. Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or turmoil or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. That's through Christ. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Again, of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Christ is not going to lose one. Paul, who as bad as you and I might ever have it in life, I will guarantee you, you and I have never had as hard a life or will ever have as hard a life as the apostle Paul did. But he says that, that none of those things nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we, sh we shall be saved by his life. We're no longer those enemies. We've been saved. We've been adopted. We're his adopted children. Do you really think he's going to get rid of his adopted children? I mean, I know we as humans mess up adoption badly, but God, the perfect God, do you truly think he's going to get rid of and let go of and allow to leave unprotected those who are his children when he has his son there to intercede and be intermediary for us? Absolutely not. And that's at the same time. We've talked about it before. I've been very, very clear that throughout this, Jesus has been trying to stand up and support and strengthen their faith. Well, even in this, in him showing his protection of them, 
makes very, very clear. And again, John, he, he makes this, this kind of a parenthetical statement in verse nine, in order that the word which he spoke would be fulfilled of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Again, Jesus has said this and they've heard that. And now it's being made clear by his actions. So we see there very clearly his manifestation of supreme love, both supreme love for the father and supreme love for his adopted brothers and sisters. And particularly for these 11 that he protects from these Gentiles. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this evening. I thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray that our time together in the word helps us all to grow in our understanding of the scripture and the, and the maturing of our walk in Christ. All right, let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the fourth day evening prayer. It's called God All-Sufficient. Let's pray. King of glory, divine majesty, every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine and its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace. How excellent thy loving kindness that draws men to thee. Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God, never seeking life among the dead things of earth or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity thou hast provided us a savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions, have mercy on us. We are weary, give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on, unchecked, undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right, again, thank you so much for spending this time this evening with me. I hope you have yourself a wonderful night, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.